Worth Knowing, the radio program and podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson, and I'm in studio with... Hello, this is Robin Jones-Gunn. You know, there are so many Christian women with fascinating stories, whether missionaries, musicians, reformers, authors, or wives and mothers... And their examples are inspirational to us all. So Cheryl, you have a very inspirational woman to tell us about today. I do. Her name is Mary Ann Bickerdyke. Have you ever heard of her before? I have not. I'm eager to hear. Well, I find this fascinating because years ago I was on the East Coast. I was at um, Jamestown, which is, you know, a famous settlement of the early Americans. And there were two books that I bought, and it was heroines of... Uh, the Revolutionary War and heroines of the Civil War. Uh-huh. So I bought those books, but I and I love those books, obviously for children because they have pictures, drawings, cartoons. I loved it, but they never mentioned Mary Bickerdyke. So when I came across Mary Bickerdyke and realized uh, what an ardent Christian she was and all that she did, mm-hmm. I thought, Mary, where have you been all my life? So. To get started, uh, just a little bit about Mary Ann Bickerdyke is that she served tirelessly as a nurse uh, during the Civil War, but so much mm. more than that. She set up over 300 field hospitals wow. um, in the Civil War on the different fields. So she was born in Knox County, Ohio on July 19, 1817. Um, she was born on her grandfather's farm. And her father's name was Hiram, and Hiram was one of three brothers, and they were Presbyterians, all of them. Um, The whole family, though, actually is related to the first settlers in the United States, and she could trace her lineage all the way back to one of George Washington's brothers. She even had in her possession a letter that had been written to, like, her great-great-great-great-grandfather from Benjamin Franklin. Wow. So she was just very, very American. Now, her ancestors um, on her mother's side were the ones who had come from Britain in the 1700s. But her mother died when she was only 17 months old. Mm. And it was too much for her father Hiram to handle. So she was taken to live with her maternal grandparents who lived in Mansfield, Illinois. And they had a farm. And on this farm, she learned thrift, to weave, to make her own fabric, and Mm. the value of hard work. Um, It was said that she loved, just loved, loved, loved the animals, whether it's cats, chickens, or pigs, or horses. Um, But she was especially drawn to the animals that were infirmed. She would make uh, makeshift bandages. She wanted to help them get better, and she would just, you know, love them to full restoration. She loved to ride horses, Um, on this farm. However, her grandparents died while she was still young. And Mary was sent to live with her mother's brother, Henry Rogers. Now, Henry Rogers and his wife, they were really, really good to Mary. Mm -hmm. And they realized how brilliant she was and her love of books and how she loved, she absolutely loved going to school. At age 16, she went on to Oberlin College, which was a four-year college. And while she was there, um, Charles Finney was the principal. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And do you know what? My husband's grandmother went to Oberlin. 
<laughs> I wonder if they knew each other. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Well, at Oberlin College, sitting under Charles Finney, she really came to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. And she said at Oberlin College, and I'm going to paraphrase, that she learned the value of a soul. And this is what she she said about Charles Finney's preaching, that she learned the right of a woman to do any work she is fitted for or is called to do. In other words, anyone can do anything that God calls them to do. And also the right of a black person to equal opportunity in the race of life. Wow, 100 plus years ago, that was forward thinking. Such forward, but it's Christian thinking. Yeah, exactly. It was what she learned under the preaching and teaching of Charles Finney, who was a a famous American Mm -hmm. pastor as well as an evangelist. And these became the underlying tenets of her faith. And the assertion of these rights, uh, she believed, was a cardinal virtue. After college, she returned to her uncle's house um, about 1839. Uh, She was 20 years old. And the reason she returned was to take care of his family. There had been an outbreak of Titus in Illinois and actually the states at that time in 1837, and it lasted uh, quite a long time. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to learn how to nurse her family back to health. So she sought the instruction of a Dr. Mussey, who was in charge of the Cincinnati City and Hamilton County Hospital. So at this time, you know, she's living in Ohio. She wants to know, how can I nurse people back to health? Well, he was so dismayed at the deplorable condition of nurses in his day. I mean, they were usually drunks. They were usually, you know, unemployable in any other field. And he had this vision to take a few of the smarter women that he knew and to train them in nursing, to teach them about medicines, to teach them about, um, you know, setting broken bones, how to heal wounds, and about sanitation. Hmm. So he took 12 women— And he trained them for about two years. And Mary was his top student. She was the best of the best. She'd been practicing since she was a little girl on the farm. Exactly. And she acquired a knowledge of medicine and skills um, as a nurse. In fact, when they would come to visit Dr. Mussey, everyone began to request Mary. um, She was Mary Ball at that time. They began to request Mary Ball to be their nurse. Like, could we have Mary? Um, She also began to study holistic medicines at this time because we've got to remember at this time in the United States, I mean, they thought cocaine was healthy and, you know, these other (laughs) remedies. Right, morphine. Right, Mm -hmm. and these other remedies that we've since learned are, oh, super dangerous, like um, arsenic and other ones that they would use and, and bloodletting. So she began to study the body and what was holistic and what would actually be restorative. And she loved working with herbs and, you know, chicken soup and natural remedies. In fact, she felt like food was really crucial to people getting healthier and better. So um, she starts her own holistic um, service as a nurse and giving out these holistic uh, medicines that she's making. And she's very, very, very popular. And she continues this even after she gets married. Now, in 1847, she's 28 years old. So she's kind of old in those days to get married. Most of the girls got married younger. So she's already 28 years old. She married Robert Bickerdike. 
and Robert Bickerdike was a widow, and he had two sons,、um, and they were married at the Episcopal Church in Cincinnati because she's still there even after you know being trained. Now, Once again, that time Cincinnati, that was Harriet Beecher Stowe, all the Stowe. Oh.、Uh, Okay. Yes. <laughs> Keep going. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> And I had said just a moment ago, "Wow, that was forward thinking for a hundred years ago." It's really, it's you know, almost two hundred years ago. That's so、right. it's remarkable that the training and teaching for nursing was just beginning then. When you think about exactly it, what it is now, and this is the, the time of Elizabeth Glasgow and、um, right. I'm not sorry, not Elizabeth, Elizabeth Glasgow.、Um, uh, Black. Blackwell, Blackwell, <laughs> right, and and others like her,、yes. and so women were just、um, entering this field. It was also the time of Florence Nightingale and Clara、mm-hmm. Barton, who will come into this story also. So, in 1847, as I said, she married Robert Bickerdike. Now, she was very proud of Robert, very proud, and she was an incredible stepmother to his two sons.、Uh, she loved his sons, Robert and Joseph. But he was such a fine musician, and he was a mechanic by trade. But he played what is called the double bass viol, which is a lot like a violin. So Mary loved to tell this story that when Jenny Lind, who will be featured on another episode, because Jenny Lind was、yes. a famous Christian Swedish、mm-hmm. singer who came to the United States, and we will feature her and won the hearts of everyone who heard her sing. Won the hearts. She will be featured on another episode, but. Mary、um, liked to tell this story that when Jenny Lind came to do a concert in Cincinnati, there was a vacancy in her orchestra because the viol player had taken sick. So they found out that Robert could play the viol, so he was asked to play with Jenny Lind、um, for her whole concert series in Cincinnati. Afterwards. Jenny Lind was so impressed with Robert's ability to play the viol that she asked if he would be part of her permanent ensemble and accompany her wherever she sang in the United States.、Wow. And he was so flattered, but he declined, saying that he never wanted to be that far from home. Oh, isn't that sweet? So, is a viol larger or smaller than a viol? Smaller, just a tiny bit smaller.、Like a- Viola. Yeah, I have never、oh. seen it before in、okay. my life, and I had to look it up. Okay, <laughs> in other to know what it was. So she and Robert also had two sons, James and Hiram. Hiram named after her father, obviously. In 1856, the Bickerdike family moved from Cincinnati to Gillsburg, Illinois, because Robert was ill, and in those days, Cincinnati was considered、um, a very polluted city. Right. Very dangerous for health. So after living there for two years, eighteen fifty-eight, when Mary was thirty-nine, and after sixteen years of a happy marriage, Robert died.、Mm. But Mary had already set up her practice as a botanical physician, which is what we would call a, a homeopathist.、Mm-hmm. So the medicines again that doctors were employing were dangerous at those times. In eighteen sixty-one, so just two to three years after Robert died. The American Civil War、mm-hmm. broke out.、Mm-hmm. In November of that year, Lincoln asked for volunteers to fight against the secessionists, or the South, or the rebels, as we like to call them. So, in this battle, Doctor Woodward was a surgeon for the army, and he was a personal friend of Mary's. And he sent a letter to Mary's church, describing the deplorable conditions of the battlefield and hospitals. 
and he asked for volunteers to help. Mary immediately felt a burning in her heart. She set about first raising funds and collecting sanitary supplies. And her first assignment after she volunteered was as a nurse in Cairo, Illinois. She had to um, give her sons over to the keeping of um, a relative. Mm. Um, and they were raised on a farm. They never resented. She wrote letters, you know, copious letters describing everything she was doing. Mary was met when she got to Cairo, Illinois, with 456 men, some with dysentery, some with measles, some with typhoid fever, and others wounded by rebel bullets. She found unsanitary conditions. The drinking water was straight from the Mississippi and had not oh been sterilized. Exactly. <laughs> there were no latrines, no bathrooms, uh, no sections separate from the camp. Um and no changes of clothes. And so one of the first things she did was started boiling the water. She set up um, a latrine section for the men to do their business. And then she insisted that every man bathe regularly in bathtubs that she requisitioned. Can you imagine? (laughs) That was not super popular, but she insisted on it. She also insisted on feeding the men healthy and delicious food. And she set up a cooking stove and set to work immediately making meals. Now, again, she's not working with the soldiers. She's working with the injured and the wounded and the sick. And how many? 450? Exactly. And she's Uh, making them take baths. Yeah. (laughs) Line up, boys. Yes. And setting up a place for them to, you know, to... um, defecate. So while she was there, she um, she caught a young lieutenant who was fully recovered from all his wounds, but he still had his hospital shirt on. And the reason he did it, because Mary's delicious cooking was legendary and he just wanted some of her food. But she grabbed him and stripped off the shirt in front of all the other patients while the men laughed heartily. Dr. Woodward described Mary like this, a large, heavy woman of 45 years, strong as a man, muscles of iron, nerves of the finest steels, sensitive but self-reliant, kind and tender, seeking all for others and nothing for herself. I like her very much. Isn't she amazing? (laughs) I'd be scared of her, I think, but I like her. Yes, but she needed all of that to be able to get the job done. Exactly. To have the metal. You see, too, that this is a calling. You know, she was... She was, you know, created equipped and, and equipped and, for this. Had everything already implanted in her. I love how God does that. He does. Now, after the Battle of Fort Donaldson, Mary was commissioned to a hospital boat that traveled down the Mississippi River. And she made sure that the conditions on the boat, because she's picking up injured, right? So she had hospital beds, equipment, food. Um, sanitized um, sheets and bed linens, um, new uh, garments for them to wear. Um, she made sure that the injured were stripped of their bloody clothes and filthy uniforms, um, given clean bed shirts, you know, washed and given clean bed shirts. So she had that. Mm-hmm. Um, she would bring the injured onto the boat, and then um, the boat would go back up the Mississippi River to Cairo. Mary made five trips, taking the wounded to hospitals in Cairo, Paducah, and Mound City, I don't know where those other places are. During this time, she had little sleep because of her care for the men. 
One night, she heard a moan coming from the battlefield, and she was sure that someone had been overlooked. She took a lantern, a canteen of brandy, a stretcher, and two men, and began to search the battlefield. Mm. Among the dead, they found two men barely clinging to life Mm. who were covered with a rubber blanket to try to stay warm. She, you know, got both of those men, put them on the boat. One lived and was able to return to his family in Dayton, Ohio, and the other succumbed to his wounds. She moved from Fort, uh, from Cairo to Fort Donaldson, where she had the dirty linens and clothes collected and sent to be laundered. She set up a whole laundry system. She employed um, the the ex-slaves to these positions Mm. of laundry and paid them. She organized a posse of washing machines, portable kettles to heat the water, wagons to load up and wash the laundry. And these wagons were uh, accompanied her wherever she went, whatever battlefield. Um, she took her employees who would wash the uh, the linen and these wagons. At Pittsburgh Landing, she had nearly 6,000 men to care for. Her recollection oh. is as follows. Oh, it was awful, dreadful. Mm. Only the God above knows how I felt, mm. but he helped me. I was helping to carry the wounded down to the boats and gone up and down the slippery hills several times until I was exhausted. It rained hard. The water was running in torrents down the gutters, and legs and arms were washing by. Oh, Cheryl. I looked up the hill and thought, I cannot go up again. I think about the emotional and physical toll. But I lifted my eyes and said, Father... I must go. Mm. And strength came to me so that I went up the hill as if I were were flying. Oh, I know that if we only had faith enough, we could do anything. That is what our churches need, more faith. Then the world would be saved. Preach it, Mary. I know. (laughs) So most of what we know about her life and the conditions and what was going on in these field hospitals is because she was a copious communicator. She was writing letters back to her church. She was writing letters to her son. She was writing letters to her friends because she felt that the more people who knew what was going on, the more they would be part of the effort to um, uh, to raise supplies. Um, to facilitate these, what she called her dear boys. One time a surgeon found her wrapped in a gray overcoat of a rebel soldier. He was angry. But she explained to him that she had loaned her own shawl to an injured soldier who was shivering. She was so busy dispensing soup, tea, crackers, whiskey, and water to the wounded men that she didn't have time uh, to get uh, a coat or something to keep her warm. So finding that coat, she just put it on. A surgeon took her to task. Where did you get these things and under whose authority are you working? She ignored him and kept working. He watched her working and he softened his tone and he said, under whose authority are you working? She answered him, I have received my authority from the Lord God Almighty. Have you anything that outranks that? (laughs) She really had no authority. She was a volunteer nurse. Another time, a young lieutenant came by um, because his brother was arrested on 
made up charges. The court was presided over by drunken officers. She said, "I'll go with you to that court." So she went with the man and his brother, and she sternly addressed the court. Oh, what pray tell is going on here? Yes, I should expect justice from such a set of drunken officers.、Um, she's being facetious. You're pretty men to act in a court of justice. General Steele, he was presiding over everything. I ask that this boy be transferred to General Grant's command, and that's exactly what happened. Oh, the officers were so taken back that they granted the request, and the young men went to serve with Ulysses S. Grant himself. She was soon stationed at Savannah, Tennessee, where she met Mrs. Eliza Porter, and these two women became close friends, though their temperaments were the opposite. Mrs. Porter, who was called the Angel of the Hospitals, <laughs> she was highly cultivated and compassionate, and she always spoke in soft and gentle tones. And here comes Mary, the steamroller. <laughs> Mary was known as being sanguine, always upbeat,、mm. independent, strong, and cheerful. It was said that she inspired hope and strength even in the worst situations. It was reported that Mary could run from place to place, knitting or sewing whatever was needed at the same time. No. Yes. <laughs> And she sort of runs with scissors, runs、right. with knitting needles. She was、Dangerous. always knitting <laughs> or sewing cushions or socks or something for the wounded soldiers. There were twelve thousand wounded men in and around Savannah. And Mary had to get the supplies that were needed. She went to Illinois and campaigned for goods. She never ever returned empty-handed from one of her forays for supplies. She came back with contraband: milk, eggs, butter, chicken. This was a dangerous business because people were,、uh, you know, robbing. Oh sure, anyone with these kind of supplies. But she was undaunted. She would do anything where her boys were concerned. One day, a man was brought to her in a coffin, and when she asked why he was in the coffin, the driver said, "Well, he's so nearly dead, and the coffin was just convenient." The sick man was full of vermin and so thin. Mary went to nursing him back to health immediately, and not only did this man recover, but he became the head baker under Mary for all of the field hospitals. Mary said that Christian kindness was so apparent in her hospitals.、Mm-hmm. Often, the men. Uh, the soldiers would come to pray over their fallen comrades, and the men in the cots often prayed together、um, and had faith in prayer. They would pray for each other and gather、Beautiful. together. Mary often arranged for the relatives of dying men to be transported to the field hospitals to say their goodbyes. One of her ways of keeping the patients calm was to sing to them, "Must Jesus bear the cross alone?" Must Jesus bear the cross alone, and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. The consecrated cross I'll bear till death shall set me free, and then go home my crown to wear. For there's a crown for me upon the crystal pavement down at Jesus' pierced feet. Joyful I'll cast my golden crown and His dear name repeat. O precious cross, O glorious crown, O resurrection day! Ye angels from the stars come down and bear my soul away.、Beautiful. So she would sing that to the sick、Beautiful. and dying. She took care of both rebel and Union soldiers. She felt the worth of every human created by God.
She had to travel fast, sometimes packing and moving because the battle was coming too close to the field hospital tents. A few times she felt bullets flying past her.、Hmm. Other times she was summoned to set up hospitals right on the battlefield. She kept wagons well supplied with tents, bed linens, kitchen supplies, food, cots, washing equipment. She organized not only the wagons but oversaw the setting up of these hospitals. Again, in total, she was responsible for setting up over three hundred field hospitals.、Mm. One time, in a desperate situation, she broke into the quartermaster's supply house in order to save the injured men. The quartermaster had her charged, and she had to appear before a tribunal. And I'll tell you the rest of that story when we come back. But are you totally intrigued with Mary? Yes, and just think of all the people that she, the men that survived, and today there are these children. Yes, of those the, men. Yeah, their ancestors、right. were re- saved in、That's、that、right. desperate moment because of this woman. Who used all the gifts that God had given her fully? And there's so much、Wonderful. more. I thought I could do this in two parts. It might be a three-parted. Oh, I can't wait to hear it all. We will see. So until next week, this, this is Robin Jones Gunn and Cheryl. Join us. Don't forget Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on Robin, visit RobinGunn.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. Join us each week for a lively conversation as we explore the lives of well-known and not so well-known Christian women in history. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwwkccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. Women Worth Knowing is a production of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.